0: Hello, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Coronavirus, it is still with us and probably will be for quite some time. And there are a lot of folks out there who are following the recommendations, wearing masks in public, social distancing at the workplace and in any other type of situation. But there are still people getting infected every day with coronavirus. And today we're going to talk with Dr. Lisa Tan, a hospitalist at Straub Medical Center for 15 years now. And Dr. L- Dr. Cheryl Gunnell, she is actively taking care of some of our positive coronavirus patients at Straub Medical Center. And we're going to talk a little bit about what are the presenting symptoms of patients who have this infection? When should they come to the hospital and what sort of treatments and things are we doing for them and what might they expect? So if you do happen to get diagnosed we're going to hear today about what it might be like if you wind up needing and requiring medical attention in a hospital. So I want to thank both of you for your hard work taking care of these patients and taking care of all of us. And thank you for taking this time to be with us on the show today. Oh, thank Dr. you, I'm Kathy, Kathy thank for having you. us. Very happy to have both of you. Now, Dr. Lisa, you're working admitting patients. So these are people who have presented to the emergency room and they they have symptoms, they get tested or you know they're positive because they've come in saying they are what kind of symptoms are you are you seeing people experience when they come to the ER?
1: So the symptoms could be very wide ranging. Common symptoms would be cough, fever, chills, difficulty breathing, but there's also a lot of other symptoms such as fatigue, sore, throat, runny nose, body aches, headaches, vomiting, diarrhea, And in a smaller group of patients, they also have a loss of smell and a loss of
0: taste. So these might be some of the things that people would be experiencing, that loss of smell and loss of taste, which, as you mentioned, a smaller percentage, but but very indicative of whatever's going on with this coronavirus uh, attack on the body. And you mentioned cough and fever, body aches, and then some of those other symptoms that initially we didn't recognize as indicative of coronavirus exposure. Some of the GI's things like the diarrhea, the the gastritis, the symptoms that just wouldn't make you think, oh, this is an infection, but then it really is. So are these folks presenting with pretty mild symptoms, or by the time they come to the emergency room, are they having some pretty significant troubles?
1: Well, it could be very wide-ranging. Um, we see very mild patients. Uh, sometimes patients are sicker, and we have to decide whether or not they need to be hospitalized and whether they need to be on just a medical ward or ICU. But we see a whole wide range so sometimes to look out for at home as far as uh, when you really should come to the hospital is if you have difficulty breathing, chest pain or confusion or some drowsiness or signs of low oxygen such as if your lips are turning blue. Um, if you're in the elderly, say over 60 years old, or if you have any chronic medical
0: condition, these are the higher-risk patients that should really seek medical care. So these would be symptoms somebody who might have found out that they're positive could experience at home, like you mentioned some of the breathing issues and the low oxygen. In the beginning of the infection, I've heard that you may not present with these, but after about a week or so, sometime around, you know, day five, six, seven, or eight, if you're still infected and start to have these symptoms, you need to get checked out. This could get bad pretty fast. Is that right? Right. The symptoms can start... Slowly, and then you can get sick pretty
1: quickly. So it's different for every individual, but for the higher risk patients, such as the elderly and those with a chronic medical conditions, you should really uh, start seeking care sooner rather than later, especially if you have those concerning symptoms of difficulty breathing, confusion, or um, signs of low oxygen.
0: Now, you mentioned that the decision is made who needs to be admitted in the hospital and who does not, and that's when, you know, Dr. Cheryl, you may wind up seeing them being taken care of in the hospital. What are some of the reasons why somebody needs to get admitted into the hospital versus someone who could recover at home? What is that decision point? Dr. Cheryl? Oh,
2: sure. When we uh, evaluate patients, we're looking a lot at the severity of symptoms A lot of patients, there's such a wide range for corona. I think when we think about, like Lisa was talking about the symptoms, but there's also the asymptomatic that we we tend to forget about, and those are the ones that potentially could be um, shedding the virus. Uh, When we look at the admission process, we're looking at some vital signs, of course, their oxygen level, um, their breathing rate, their respiratory rate, and we'd like to see it less than 20 when we start getting 30 and above, it's quite concerning. We start to think about moderate or even severe symptoms. Can they speak in full sentences? That's concerning. What is their actual oxygen level like when we place that pulse oximeter or the the instrument that we can um, objectively measure oxygen saturation with? Uh, We also look at temperature. So the temperature screening is always a process now when you even enter the hospital for visitors as well as patients. So. I think there's various things to look at clinically as well as objectively.
0: And Dr. Lisa, when they present and you making that decision as well, do they need to be admitted? Some of the decisions would be probably their comorbidities. Do they have somebody or their other medical conditions? Do they have somebody who could help them at home so that if if they do look like they sort of might be able to go home, but they'd be home alone and no one could help them? that might actually be a concern. Is that right? Um, absolutely.
1: So um, some things that the, the public can monitor at home would be, like what Dr. Ganel mentioned, is the breathing rate, um, the heart rate. Patients may have uh, devices at home that they can measure these things or someone can help measure for them or a thermometer to measure the temperature Um, You can get a blood pressure machine. You can even get oxygen pulse oximeter um, devices to measure at home. But um, a lot of patients may not have these devices or someone to look in after them. So if they have symptoms that feel like, you know, something's just not right, um, this is more than just a usual common cold kind of symptoms. they should really get checked, especially if they think they may have been exposed to Someone with the COVID virus, or they've been um, through any travel within the last two to three weeks, um, they should really seek care sooner rather than later.
0: Well, let's talk about the idea of exposure to other people. When you talk with some of these patients, and and hopefully they're able to communicate and talk with you, where do you hear that they're getting exposed from? Is it like they don't know, or can they? Track it back to hey, you know, I was around somebody who might have had it. Are is there any common theme that you're hearing about that some of these patients who require hospitalization are coming in saying they got exposed from? Um, oh, maybe
2: the ones. Well, the patients I've taken care of so far, it's been a variety. Like some can actually recall like being in an enclosed space and being with others that may have potentially been the initial person who had the um, virus. But there have been some, even with uh, how moderate to severe their symptoms are, they can't really recall. They've been um, watching their quarantine. They've been self-quarantining and wearing their mask, um, doing all the precautions that have been advised. I haven't really seen um, household contacts per se just yet. So it's out in the communities what I've been seeing, exposure, like activities, going to the gym or going to the beach. One person had um, acquired it potentially from that when they thought about retrospectively because that's the only um, time they'd actually get exposed to others aside from household member.
0: Well, that's a good point because having gone to the beaches prior to this weekend, which you know... Luckily, we did not have a hurricane, but, you know, having gone, I do do see a lot of folks that are kind of congregating together in groups that may not be wearing a mask and may not be keeping that six feet of distancing that is recommended, and that's always difficult because, again, when you're in the ocean, you can't wear a mask. That could, if it got wet, impair your ability to breathe, so mainly on land, and, you know, I think... People have not been continuing to be as careful as everybody would hope that people could be because it's it's difficult, you know, and you may – it's that one time or that one or two times that you think it's going to be okay, and then if there is an exposure, it's hard to really – change what happened in the past. And hopefully moving forward, we can all learn from that. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. Today I have on the line Dr. Lisa Tan and Dr. Cheryl Gannell. They are both hospital specialists at Straub Medical Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about the patients that have coronavirus. How are they being treated in the hospital and what sort of expectations would someone have if they think they have to come and be hospitalized? What might they expect and what might they see that looks a little different than what they might have had in the past? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
2: Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Chaminade University and Hastings & Pleadwell, a communication company.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio, and I've got Dr. Lisa Tan and Dr. Cheryl Gannell on the line. They are both actively taking care of coronavirus patients in the hospitals, and so we're learning a little bit more about where people might have been exposed from, what are the common symptoms. There was something that both of you mentioned at our last segment, and it was things you can check at home. I am always amazed that... You know, even myself, I had to make sure that I had a working thermometer because sometimes you say you have one and then maybe it needs new batteries or it doesn't work anymore. So for those people who are concerned and don't have a thermometer, make sure that you get one because one of the best ways to know if you have a fever... And how high that fever went is to actually be able to check it. Now, there's another device out there, a pulse oximeter. That's a little oxygen monitor that you can get. And that usually reads a number that if it's normal is 93% to 100%. And that indicates how much oxygen your body is getting when you breathe. But if those numbers go down low, that can be a sign of concern and Dr. Cheryl and Dr. Lisa, you both mentioned that low oxygen levels, and that's one of the presenting symptoms. How low are we talking? Are we talking about numbers that are, you know, 90, 91, 92? Or are you seeing some folks come in and their oxygen levels are much lower than that? So the normal
1: range is 95 and higher for most people. Um, If it's lower than depending on the patient, it's could be a sign of concern. So sometimes the oxygen is quite low and patients may not even feel that they're having any difficulty breathing or shortness of breath. So it's really a combination of multiple symptoms that uh, we
0: go with. So Dr. Cheryl, how low are the oxygen levels that you're seeing? Are they in the 80s? Are they in the 70s? Could it be that low?
2: Yes, yeah. Uh, I did see it in the 70s, most of them in the 80s, typically, when they come in short of breath with symptoms.
0: So if you're home and you're getting a number in the 80s, and this is not normal for you, this is something to certainly contact your provider about, those people who have pre-existing lung conditions, those people who have emphysema or COPD or other severe lung problems, this could really put them at risk if they were to get a coronavirus infection on top of that. Is that right?
1: Right. So the health
0: condition that is associated with higher
1: risk for the COVID-19 complications would be like COPD or chronic lung problems, chronic kidney disease, diabetes, heart disease, obesity. So um, certainly if you
0: have chronic lung disease, that is a concern. Well, and this puts more stress on your lungs and therefore becomes an even bigger problem or situation. Now, when you're admitting patients to the hospital, Dr. Cheryl, you're wearing personal protective equipment. What exactly does that refer to? What, what does that mean?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, what we want to do is prevent the spread of the virus. So we think about, like, anatomically, we want to protect our eyes, our nose, and our mouth foremost, uh, so we have our goggles on. We wear the respirator when we know that it's going to be a high suspicion for COVID. Um, that'll um, protect us from the particulate matter. And then we also wear a face shield atop of that and um, a gown, gown and gloves, of course. Yeah.
0: So that would be for people who are admitted to the hospital. Dr. Lisa, when you're seeing patients in the emergency room, are you using the same level of personal protective equipment and is that something that you, you have available pretty readily? Or if you're not sure if they have coronavirus, do you have to wear the full gown? What's, what's happening there?
1: Right. We use the whole uh, personal protective equipment because we don't really know who's going to test positive or negative until the test comes back. Because the symptoms are pretty nonspecific, whether it's similar symptoms for common colds. So we have to take the necessary safety precautions and do all the protective measures that Dr. Ganal has mentioned.
0: So if there's any chance, you're gowned, gloved, masked, and face-shielded. Yes, yes, yeah. All right. Well, that certainly does help to protect you from getting it, it also helps to protect the patients as well. Because, you know, if you happen to be taking care of someone, you will change some of that protective equipment before you see another patient. So they also have that protection that you're not going to be wearing something that could potentially continue to expose other folks. So it's sort of double protection, both for the person wearing it and for the people they're interacting with. Now when we talk about seeing patients in the office I can tell you we're wearing a face mask, we're usually wearing goggles, we may use gloves and there are face shields available. We don't generally wear the full-on gown in the clinic unless there's somebody coming in for whom we have a concern about their symptoms, but usually, you know a lot of places have decided to put some of those folks have them go to an area where everyone's always wearing the protective equipment. So they're going to locations where the respiratory evaluation clinic or a COVID clinic are doing virtual visits so that we can minimize exposure for everybody. So it's really trying to make sure that we don't have that situation arise where someone might get exposed unnecessarily. Now, when somebody gets admitted, Uh, Dr. Lisa or Dr. Cheryl, are they able to have visitors come see them? Or if they're definitely positive, there are not Uh, any visitors allowed? uh, No, we're not allowing visitors when they're definitely positive. Just for their own protection to avoid having them also get exposed. Now, if they're living in the same household and someone gets discharged from the hospital because they're... Well, enough that they can go home. Do those household members need to know anything in particular or do anything different given the fact that their loved one just was diagnosed with and had coronavirus? Uh,
2: what we've uh, advised is uh, to main- maintain like a um, uh, minimal contact initially. I think with the guidelines now, when we're doing symptomatic discharge release, like 10 days. The last uh, positive test, or the last symptom, I should say, of a patient uh, without any fever, no shortness of breath, and it's been 10 days. um, Typically, it's okay for that um, patient to interact with family members at that point.
0: So after that point, they're generally not going to transmit it to the family members, and it's safe to go home and be in the same environment. Yes, yeah.
2: That's correct.
0: All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the treatments that are being required to help patients who have coronavirus with oxygen and other parameters and things that we need to monitor and measure. What are we doing to treat these folks? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
2: Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor, Hawaii Naturopathic Retreat Center.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Lisa Tan and Dr. Cheryl Ganao on the line. They're both hospital specialists with decades of experience for them both, And they work at Straub Medical Center. Now, right before the break, we were talking about what to expect. You might see your providers or your hospital doctors wearing gowns and gloves and masks and face shields. And do be aware that's for your protection as well as for their protection. So that's become the norm. If there is a concern about somebody who has a positive coronavirus test, we want everyone to be as protected as possible. Now, when we have folks who you mentioned they could potentially go home, Dr. Cheryl, you said that they have to meet certain criteria, not have symptoms, not have a fever, have been at least 10 days without having any major problems, and they should be safe to go home. Are you seeing that a lot of these folks that are able to go home and be discharged, are they feeling better enough to, to go home and even do work from home, or do they still need some more time for recovery?
2: Oh, sure. I think symptomatically they've improved quite a bit, um, but there's still room for improvement. A lot of patients still feel like that fatigue set in, um, and there's definitely room for more recovery at home.
0: So expect even more time off of work. If you were yeah. hospitalized, you may not be able to go back immediately. That's right. Yeah. Now, Dr. Lisa, so when you see patients in the emergency room and you admit them to the hospital, what sort of treatments are currently being given for patients who are positive for coronavirus?
1: All right. So when they first present to the emergency room, most patients um, don't have their test results. So a lot of the treatment is uh, generally not started, but some things that are starting in the emergency room would, uh, include uh, make sure that um, uh, they're uh, having the correct protective equipment and um, they're placing a special More in a hospital to minimize exposure, oxygen, and then once the test becomes positive, then we'll get the inspection doctor involved and then we'll decide what the treatment options would be best for the patient.
0: Well, and I know those treatment options have changed since the beginning of the pandemic. Early on, they were talking about people being put on a ventilator early in the course of their illness, thinking that would help them. And then I think over time, we've learned that maybe that is not the best approach, that we should support them with oxygen and different types of body positioning that might help them so they don't have to get to that point. There's some thoughts about something called Prone positioning, when people are awake but having them lay in a different position to help their lungs to recover from the infection. Uh, Dr. Cheryl, what is prone positioning? What does it mean?
2: Oh, sure. Proning uh, refers to patients, uh, typically in the hospital, they're laying flat on their back or supine, but proning reverses that position. So the patient would
0: be laying on their chest instead. Um, And that's helping them with their oxygen in helping them to not have to require ventilators? Yeah,
2: typically what we, um, the theory behind that is to improve oxygenation and also potentially decrease um, bronchial secretions. When you're laying on your chest, uh, the gravity dependence or the, the weight on the back of the lungs is relieved. So those areas of the lungs are theoretically able to open up and increase blood flow to that region so that the healing process potentially could be initiated a little better. Um, There's also a decreased secretions also potentially from the bronchus or the airways when you're in that position
0: overall. And do you have to stay there for a long period of time or do you change different positions every couple of hours?
2: Oh, sure. I think most patients can tolerate to one or two hours from my experience. One hour is already lengthy for most, particularly if they're on – a higher flow of oxygen needs. And they're very, like, their faces turn to the side. So it's not the most comfortable position to be in for patients.
0: What kind of medications are we giving in the hospital these days for people who have positive coronavirus?
2: We've been using a convalescent plasma um, initially, as well as remdesivir, the antiviral, and Decadron, the steroid. So typically all three. Once patients are on supplemental oxygen or needing oxygen, we usually use all three.
0: Now, convalescent plasma is sort of a curious thing that a lot of people don't understand. Where are we getting the convalescent plasma from, and how is it being administered to other people?
2: Oh, sure. It's a pooled plasma. So essentially, patients that have recovered from the coronavirus have donated their blood And so when we give this product, it's like a blood transfusion, essentially, and we have to get consent. And it's pooled plasma from recovered, the antibody. So it's a passive kind of immunity and treatment option.
0: So these people who have recovered from the infection, who want to donate their plasma, they're able, they donate their blood, and then it's it turned into plasma and that's used for those people actively fighting the infection. Now, would the source of the donors be those who have a definite positive experience with coronavirus? So somebody who says, I think I might've had it, but I don't have it now. They might not be eligible to donate plasma, but someone who's definitely been positive, they would be eligible.
2: I oh, see. Hey. I think from what I can understand on it, I'm, it's based on the titers, so I think it's screened as to how much um, effectivity, effectiveness it may have in
0: the plasma itself. Sure, so there's ways to figure that out. I've had a couple of patients say, I'd like to donate my plasma if I was positive, but in fact they may not have had the infection, so they wouldn't be able to be part of that convalescent plasma treatment per se. Right. Dr. Lisa, are you seeing folks who are coming in who have had multiple family members who have had it? Are you seeing, you know, sometimes I wonder that when you have certain viral infections, the first person to get it gets a mild case, but if they're home, you know, I remember chicken pox when I was younger, I was the third in the family to get it. I had it really bad, but the first person didn't have it so bad. Are we seeing that there might be multiple family members and one person who comes in has much more of a problem with the infection than others? Absolutely, there's a wide range of disease severity, so
1: this depends on that particular patient and how old they are, um, if they have any comorbid medical conditions. Um, the highest risk are the elderly over 60 years old and those with any chronic med- medical conditions. So if you are um, over 60 years old, the chance of catching it from a household could be up to about 30%. But for the average household member that's not in that population, is about 20%. Again, depends on how much they're able to isolate from the rest of the family. As what Dr. Canao had mentioned, we definitely encourage isolation as much as possible if there's a family member who's positive, meaning if they can have a separate room in the house, separate bathroom, and take all the necessary precautions, um, wearing masks and Disinfecting and cleaning um, common surfaces?
0: Well, and I think that's one of the hardest things here in the islands. We have a lot of folks who live in multi generational families. So if one person is positive, they may not be able to isolate as effectively as we would want from the rest of their loved ones. But at least, like you mentioned, staying away from those who are highest risk, who might have those other conditions that we've talked about as being a risk, or those who are just older and may not be able to do well with this type of infection exposure. So that's another group that, you know, we have to be really mindful about. It certainly sounds like there are... A lot of different parameters and new things that we're learning uh, pretty much every day when we deal with folks with these infections. Uh, Dr. Cheryl, Dr. Lisa, any thoughts on the best way that people can protect themselves who are not in the hospital and who, who don't want to get coronavirus? What would be your best recommendation? Oh, um, I... just, doing, oh,
1: just doing all the necessary precautions, uh, wear a mask especially if you're out in public. Um, Do social distancing of at least six feet. Good hand washing, good scrubbing for 20 seconds. Um, Keep uh, items and surfaces clean and disinfected. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and uh, mouth. Cover your nose when you cough or sneezing. And if you're not feeling well, stay home and try not to uh, get in touch with other people. Avoid travel. Avoid large
0: crowds. No smoking. All right. Well, that's that's a whole lot. I'm gonna. That's a lot of stuff we've got to work on. But I want to thank both of you, not just for being on the show today, but for taking such excellent care of patients in the hospital. That's Dr. Lisa Tan, Dr. Cheryl Gennell from Straub Medical Center. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week. We'll talk some more about how to stay healthy. See you then.
1: Mm-hmm.